This is the Room Now podcast for December the 14th, 2018. This week in the news, we will reveal to you the incidence and frequency of statin-associated toxicities. We're going to ask the big question, is there such a thing as ANA-positive articular JIA in the adults? And will we, the diagnosticians, ultimately be replaced by genetic studies, GWAS, and whole exome sequencing? Oh my, say it ain't so. We're going to start the news with a discussion of GPA in both kids and adults. Is a comparison study, a cohort study, looking at about 200 kids with GPA and over 5,000 adults with the diagnosis, showing that for many of the parameters one would look at, it turns out that they're almost the same, except kids tend to have more severe disease as measured by more hospitalizations and, and maybe as much as 30% more hospitalizations and a two, two to three-fold increased risk of complications such as leukopenia, neutropenia, and hypogammaglobulinemia. Surprisingly, they don't have more infections uh, or more major relapses or renal disease than do adults. It's about equal. So it's a bad disease in both, but like in lupus, sometimes kids who get these adult diseases tend to have more severe manifestations. An interesting look uh, came from a comparative study uh, that analyzed the risk of cardiovascular events, major adverse cardiovascular events called MACE, uh, in RA patients, axial spondyloarthritis patients, and psoriatic arthritis patients. And after all is said and done in a fairly large cohort study, shows that the risk of cardiovascular disease is elevated in all three, suggesting it is inflammation and not the disease or the specific disease that lends to an increased cardiovascular risk, suggesting that we should be worried about all our inflammatory diseases, not just RA and PSA, for whom much of this has been written about, the cardiovascular risk, etc. Um, I threw out a, uh, a tweet this week about a case I was working on that um, really was piquing my interest. And here's the case, and I'm going to ask the question, what's the diagnosis, and tell you what the answers are from at least uh, 100 of your peers. So the case is a 27-year-old female who has a chronic left knee effusion going on for four months and then becomes a right knee effusion, so bilateral knee effusions, for the last three months. It's inflammatory. There's 22,000 white cells, negative cultures. MRI done only shows synovitis and large effusion. She gets worked up and treated. Nothing responds. She get, intrathecal steroids don't help. Non-steroidals don't help. Has not received a DMARD. Labs only show that she is ANA positive, 1 to 160, in a speckled and homogeneous pattern. Negative lab tests include IgM parvovirus, rheumatoid factor, B27, CCP, um, uh, C, uh, uh, hepatitis C and hepatitis B, uh, RPR, sedrite and CRP are actually normal. So the question is, what would you call it at this point and how would you treat it? So I threw it out there wondering what the community would think. And on Twitter, with almost 100 responses, here's the vote. The top answer was that the, and there's only four choices I laid out there, there was no write-in. 49% said this is probably an occult IBD, PSA, or SPA diagnosis that would ultimately reveal itself. 26% said this is probably seronegative RA. 18%, what I thought this could be, which is adult onset, postarticular JIA, which is ANA positive. Um, I've got several of these patients. However, they do not seem to develop uveitis like the kids do but that's something I'm watching for. And 7% call this incomplete lupus. I think that's wrong. There's nothing about this that looks like or smells like lupus. So usually time ultimately makes a diagnosis in cases like this. The question is, what are you going to do until you make the diagnosis? I'm going to treat what's present and move on. 
So let's move on to the next uh, report. This is on statin safety coming from uh, the American Heart Association, a very large study um, that basically shows with thousands and thousands of patients, you know, almost 40% or more, uh, is that the number? 40%, one in four, I'm sorry, 25% um, of adults over the age of 40 are taking a statin currently. We know that statins save lives. We know statins lower uh, lipid levels, or LDL levels by 55 to 65%. What is the real numbers? What should you be quoting to your patients who are always asking you, should I be on a statin? You're always wondering why they're stopping their statin. The risk of statin-induced rhabdo is one in a thousand, and probably that's the high end. Um, the risk of severe hepatotoxicity from a statin is probably less than, more than one in 10,000. Um, and the risk of uh, statin-induced new diabetes, something I was really unaware of, is about two in a thousand. So, uh, sorry, 2.2% per year. So again, these numbers are really low. Uh, it seems like uh, if properly monitored, statins can be a significant advantage for patients who need them. So there's a, a, a two interesting studies that looked at comorbidities in vasculitis that I found interesting um, and taught me something. And one report talks about the risk of developing vasculitis if you have an auto-inflammatory disease. We know that FMF patients, for instance, get uh, PAN-like disease and IgA uh, uh, deposition vasculitis. We know that um, small vessel vasculitis can be seen in patients with CAPS, the cryopyrin-associated periodic syndromes, TRAPS, hyper-IgD syndrome, DERA, the, in the in uh, deficiency of the IL-1 um, in uh, receptor, Papa and Bichette's, all small vessel vasculitis can occur. And then there's the Savi syndrome described recently by um, Dan uh, Kastner and colleagues. That's the um, DAD2 deficiency where they have sting-associated vasculopathy with onset in infancy. These kids, uh, again, it's a, it's a genetic disorder, uh, do respond really, really well to uh, Embrel and TNF inhibitors. Uh, so that's kind of interesting, and we should maybe watch out for that. Another uh, meta-analysis looked at the risk of developing comorbidities in patients with uh, polymyalgia rheumatica. Um, you know, elderly, obviously they're going on steroids. What other things do occur in these people? Well, uh, CVA, coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease, diverticular disease, hyperthyroidism are all in sig significantly increased. What is not so clear is whether there's an association between PMR and a cancer risk. There, That's not borne out in these meta-analyses of at least 41 papers studied by the authors. An interesting study looks at um, the outcomes in systemic sclerosis patients, specifically looking at what lends to poor outcomes, specifically the risk of death. And they show in their study that early severe GI involvement, and, you, and that's seen in by uh, up to 9% of people in the first two years, is associated with a twofold increased risk of death in patients with systemic sclerosis. Again, early um, severe GI involvement portends other bad things, including the risk of inflammatory myositis is fourfold higher, uh, telangiectasias two and a half fold higher, and rapid progression of skin disease, again, twofold higher or more. So this is one of the bad prognostic signs in patients with scleroderma. Uh, we need better markers, we need better therapies. This became, it still is the great unmet need in rheumatology. Uh, a nice study looked at pregnancy in um, psoriasis patients, specifically psoriatic arthritis patients. This comes from Daphne Gleidman and colleagues, and they looked at patients in Tel Aviv and in Toronto and enrolled uh, 74 PSA patients and 74 match controls. And roughly each of these patients and controls had about two um, uh, pregnancies. And in the end, uh, the outcomes were the same. The numbers of pregnancies, live births, gestational age, 
maternal and fetal complications of breastfeeding, breastfeeding outcomes the same between the controls and PSA, which is an important message. And there's also good data so a lot, a lot of these patients continue to do pretty well, actually do well, and only minority get worse during their pregnancy. So this is encouraging data for those of you who manage psoriatic arthritis patients, telling them that they can get pregnant. Again, whether or not they're on therapies is really contingent upon their activity going into the pregnancy. Um, you know, a healthy mother is needed to make a healthy baby. Treat them if you need to. There's a lot of good therapies you can still use during pregnancies and not rely on steroids. Um, there's another interesting article that we covered, which is really a spinoff of the, of the uh, a Washington newspaper's report on um, all I want for Christmas is my Shingrix vaccine. We called it no end in sight for the Shingrix vaccine shortage. As you know, this uh, was uh, approved about a year ago. Uh, it's outsold uh, its projections. They've done very, very well. It's estimated that in the United States, we will sell about 900 million to a billion dollars worth of Shingrix in the first year. The problem is that there's a significant number of individuals um, who have been unable to either get the vaccine or get their second dose of the vaccine. The, ma the um, manufacturer, GSK, makes this in Belgium. They said they've stepped up the production. Uh, as much as they say they're dealing with this, they don't give any real proje projections on when it's going to end. This problem started in May of 2018 uh, and is expected to continue into early 2019. Um, the manufacturer says that of all the people who have been prescribed this, 70% have received the full two doses of the drug. Um, um, but there still are a lot of patients uh, and a lot of pharmacies are dealing with this. Pharmacies are no longer taking a waiting list because they don't know when this is going to end. Uh, the bottom line appears to be, um, you know, maybe you should wait until, unless the patient really needs it and you can get it, it's okay to wait until it becomes available. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we'd like to know about more about its safety in our patients with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Not likely that's going to uh, be resolved anytime soon. The manufacturer has not indicated any uh, um, interest in doing those studies. But again, this is not a live virus vaccine. Theoretically, should be used. The question is, would our patients get worse on that? My opinion is I haven't seen that yet with a lot of inadvertent use and even uh, my instructions to go ahead and, and use it. Uh, I, again, it's two injections. Um, list price about $140 per injection. Uh, and again, we need more information. We need more vaccine. Um, an interesting report also appeared this week in the New England Journal, uh, brought to my attention by my uh, partner, Dr. Catherine Dow, uh, and it's about the use of um, genetic diagnoses in patients with previously undiagnosed disorders. Um, the NIH has an un undiagnosed, uh, um, undiagnosed disease network. Um, they've taken in over 600 patients um, and accepted 40% um, of them for evaluation. About a third of these people underwent uh, exome uh, genome sequencing prior to uh, getting in. Uh, in the end, um, half of them went, underwent a complete evaluation, and that included, again, whole uh, exome sequencing, um, and they were able to achieve a diagnosis in 33%. 11% um, were diagnosed clinically based on clinical grounds, but the majority of patients needed the exome and genome sequencing to make that diagnosis. They made a diagnosis of 31 new syndromes, 
Um, one in five led to a change in therapy. Uh, 37% led to changes in diagnostic testing. Again, this might be the future. Other academic centers and uh, leaders in the community have talked about very difficult patients, undiagnosed patients, patients with fever even, have undergone this whole exome sequencing. Used to be this was thousands and thousands of dollars. I, I'm reading that the prices come way down. I want to say $500, but don't quote me on that. It could even get cheaper as it gets more widely used. You may want to consider this uh, for the future. There's a nice report about patients not telling the truth that appeared in MedPage today. Um, this comes from two different surveys that were done of largely white individuals, mostly elderly, uh, finding that 60 to 80% of patients uh, admit to not fully revealing the truth to their physicians. Um, and that includes uh, up to 81% said they avoided disclosing at least one type of information. 46% disagreeing with the clinician's recommendation. 31% not understanding the clinician's instruction. Uh, again, up to 80% um, did not disclose this because they didn't want to be judged or lectured to. Up to 75% not wanting to hear how harmful their behavior was that they didn't want to reveal. 60% um, not wanting to be embarrassed during the, the visit. The bottom line is that the, those who are more likely to withhold information tend to be women and those who are younger and the, those who tended to work, uh, rate their own health as being somewhat poor. Uh, again, patients said things like, I didn't want the provider to think I'm difficult or stupid. I didn't want to take up any more of the provider's time. I didn't think it mattered. Um, I didn't want this information in my medical record. This is scary. Um, I tweeted this week, all too often physicians think their job is to know the answer, fix the problem, when instead, much to our surprise, patients really need to be listened to, want to know someone cares, want someone who won't judge their behaviors, and someone who actually displays a personality in caring. Then once you develop this bond, you might actually solve their problems. Um, I think it's something we need to work on. Again, I think we're great diagnosticians, we're really good at what we do but we really need to meet the patient's needs. That involves a lot more listening. I want to close with a, a reminder about Room Now Live, um, March the 22nd, 2019 in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, we're going to have all the big names, all the big companies, all the big topics. I, I, I think you should attend. It's, I, I think it's going to be unlike any other meeting you've ever seen. Um, we did a survey of U.S. rheumatologists on Room Now and asked them what you want most from your CME programs. Uh, you said at the top of your list, topic reviews, online access, digital handouts, case presentations, Q&As, panels, and a meeting recap were the most common things cited as things they'd like to see. Um, what was least, least desirable were debates, promotional lectures or dinners, breakouts, working lunches, and paper handouts. Room Now Live is going to have reviews of JAKs, psoriatic arthritis therapies, comorbidities, dactylitis, enthesitis, there's going to be online access. The lectures are shorter. Everything's maxed out at 30 minutes. We're having 30-minute panel discussions. There's digital handouts. All the lectures have to have case presentations in it. I can't see why you really wouldn't enjoy this meeting. Come. We'll enjoy seeing you there.